Today, if you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5, that's where we'll be this morning, 2 Kings 5. As we continue our march through the scriptures, we come to a beautiful story of Naaman. Naaman has a disability, he has leprosy, and he, well, he's lived with it. And honestly, he's thrived with it, as we'll see in this chapter which I think is the bigger story here. Um, I'm getting there. You guys are beating me. Um, But we're going to learn so much through this chapter and through this man's life, through this one event. This is a miracle that's about to take place. We're about to read. There's no explaining it away. Um, I get concerned with people that like to explain away the miracles of God. That's his fingerprint. That's us knowing that we worship a God that's bigger than this creation. When God does miracles and steps outside of our laws of physics and all the laws of this creation that bind us, and he's able to do what nobody else can do, it shows us he's worthy of worship. And this is one of those miracles, whether it's the five loaves and two fish where he takes matter that only has so much volume, but distributes it to 5,000 people with 12 baskets full left over, shows us I'm not bound by those rules. And so we don't want to explain those things away. They're beautiful. They're his fingerprint. They let us know that he is capital G God, the only. And we see that here with Naaman. It's a beautiful story. The first verse, which is going to take time to unpack here, let me read it to you. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. I won't stop every verse, but this is an important one to look it over. This man has leprosy. We kind of need to work backwards from that. And I want you to see what he does with that disability, with that disease, which that, I mean, it's death. And yet he's known by his king as a great and honorable man. And he's also a man of valor. Character isn't considering his circumstances. If there was anybody that could shy away from the battle, it would be him, right? Well, I'm disabled. Nothing I can do. I got to take care of myself right now. It's all I can do. All I can do is take care of myself right now. Can't take care of other people. Just need a little me time. But he doesn't. Second thing I want you to notice is that this is Syria. These are enemies of Israel. Try to wrap your mind around that. Israel's in a place right now where their kings, neither one of them, are truly worshiping the true and living God. God has having difficulty with his children. But that doesn't mean God stops working. He's working all over the earth. He works with Egypt. He works with Syria. There is history going on outside of the pages of this book all the time. And we all know that. The Bible simply focuses on the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's not saying that's the only thing that ever happened on the earth. It's saying that's the only thing that matters that happened on the earth. But once in a while, God will see fit to put a chapter like this in here to show us that he is working in other places, trying to show himself to be the true and living God, the only one to worship, diminishing all other gods, wiping them off the planet, showing this is, this is who you need to look at. He does that with Egypt. He does that with Syria. Jesus says, the volume of the book is written of me, which explains why it's such a focused view of what's going on. 
We watch Adam, and we go through the genealogy of Jesus Christ throughout Genesis all the way to Revelation, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not revelations. There are many things happening, lots of pictures, lots of scenes going on in the book, but it's the revelation. That's the title of the book, Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ says it in chapter 1. So from Genesis to that ending book of Revelation is all about him. And so we see that, but once in a while, we'll get a story like this. He can't deal with Israel right now. He's trying to get them and trying to pay, get them to pay attention to him. But meanwhile, over in Syria, he's got a man who's honorable, whom he wants to get a hold of his heart, who seems to be thinking the right way. Probably not saved in the sense that he's not worshiping the true and living God, but he's definitely not doing what everybody else is doing. God sees something in Naaman. And so he focuses on him. God is looking. His eye is looking over the face of the earth because he wants to perform his word. Looking for anybody that's willing to let him perform his word. I want to be that person. Naaman's one of those guys. And so God says, I can work with this guy. I want you to see in the Old Testament, this story, how gracious and merciful and how easygoing this Old Testament God is. It's amazing. We really got to get it in our hearts. It's such a simple, beautiful faith that exposes itself here. He's a Syrian enemy of Israel. He's great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him, the Lord has given him victory. God is giving this heathen victory. And it's victory over Israel at times. We have to understand that because Israel is a naughty little kid right now. And they need a spanking and they're getting it through Syria. And God will do that sometimes. He's going to use Babylon next. And he ministers in Babylon, sends Daniel there, sends different guys there. But this time it's Syria. He was a man of valor, it says, which means he's in the front. He's in the battle. He's dodging arrows. Ducking swords, you know, he's not in the back. You think of David as kind of a man of valor, Jonathan, a man of valor, but Saul, King Saul, wouldn't call him a man of valor. He was always in the rear with the gear, always putting guys up front, always. He's big, he's tall, taller than everybody. The Bible describes him that way, but never describes him as a man of valor. This guy was. Leprosy is interesting. It's it's a neuropathy, so to say. It ruins the nerve cells. And this is a cursory view. It's not a medical one. It's, it's what I've understood and what I've read about it. And I'm sure there's more to it. I don't need to be educated afterwards on it. I'm just saying what happens is you begin to bump things and you don't really use, you don't realize you've bumped them and they they're injured. And, and then you bump them again because you can't feel the pain when you bump them again. And pretty soon things aren't healing like they're supposed to. Things don't just drop off. They just kind of rot away. Fingers, toes, appendages, elbows, knees, noses, ears, things that you can't feel anymore. And it's progressive. This guy is a warrior and a leader with that kind of disease. And he's considered a man of valor. So that's how the Bible describes him. That's how our God describes him first. And the Syrians had gone out on raids, verse 2, and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. A raid on Israel brought this young girl as a captive back. She waited on Naaman's wife 
Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Try to get your mind around that one. This little girl has been taken away from her family, her homeland brought back to Syria, who is a slave in this man's house, comes up with the great idea of how he can be healed. Puts a whole new twist on Esther chapter four, verse 14. Esther, we get, you know, the story, young Israeli, Israeli girl found sort of a Cinderella story brought up to the castle set in the high place. And the scriptures say this, Mordecai says this to her, 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 uh, elder. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We know that verse for such a time as this. Come on, Esther, you can do it for such a time as this. You've been made a queen to speak up on, for the, on behalf of the nation of Israel, to save them from this, this horrible, you know, Haman that's going to kill all the, all the Jews. We know the story. I can do that. Oftentimes I fantasize about that. President Trump calls me. <laughs> JD, we're in desperate need of you, our spiritual leader of the nation. Yes, I'm there, you know, for such a time as this. You know, you could, the cape flowing and all. And I'm laying hands on everybody I see, you know, praying for them. But I don't know about this. Being taken captive away from my family, out of my country, into an a God-forsaken country that doesn't know the Lord, serving as a slave, someone else, and coming up with the brilliant idea that I know how you can get saved and I know how you can get healed. It's by believing on the Lord Jesus. I don't know that I'd be quoting that verse at that time for such a time as this. God has saw fit to bring me away from the land of the free, my family, to isolate me, to make me serve as a slave without pay so that I can help this person get healed. That doesn't even cross my mind. I'm thinking, where do they fall asleep? You know, that's when I make my escape. That's when I make my route and I take my pants off and I blow them up and I use them as a flotation device. You know, I got all these things in my mind. Not even thinking this way, but this young girl who loves the Lord, who serves God, Regardless of the circumstances, it doesn't matter whether I'm here or whether I'm there. I serve the Lord. She gets it. She's open to what God might want to do. He might want to save this guy. He might want to do a work in this godless nation. He might want to use me. I don't know that she knows all that, but she has such a sweet heart. We don't even know her name. I think there's a prophet in Samaria who could heal him, my master. Mm. Then the king of Syria said, as he tells his king, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, Naaman departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothes. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Now remember, the king of Israel is not exactly excited. That doesn't like the prophets. Holy men of God are irritating to him. He'd rather them stay in caves. Let's put them out of their minds, out of his mind, out of sight, out of mind. Keep them away. 
He likes his little G gods in his life, and he likes the nation worship because it lets him do what they want to do. I can sin. I can do what I want to do. I've got this little God over here that thinks it's great when I do this, so I worship him, you know? Well, he gets this letter, and here's what the letter says. Now be advised from the Syrian king who raids his nation on a regular basis. When this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. (laughs) You know? And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Tearing of your clothes is a, an act of mourning, you know, oh, you know, oive, you know. This guy's trying to pick a fight. He knows I don't have that power. He's a constant threat to us, taking little kids on, on raids away from us, you know. And he's trying to get me, uh, if you can't heal my guy, then I'm going to come and wipe you out. He's picking a fight with me, he thought. Well, I think Elisha's answer is very telling. Why are, you telling, why are you tearing your clothes? Well, I'm tearing my clothes because I don't have any faith, first of all. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand this. And I don't even think about you as a prophet. That's why I tore my clothes. I don't even consider the fact that there's a true and loving God that can do these things. I don't worship him. We don't spend any time in the temple. I mean, we sweep it once in a while, but that's about all we do. Kind of leave it around as like a relic over there. That's ah, the church you know, or the synagogue or whatever, the temple. But we really spend a lot of time over there at that club and that club and that club. And then there's the temple. I don't even think about that. It doesn't cross my mind. This guy's trying. Worldliness. Just a worldly guy. Not thinking spiritually at all. So the man of God who shows up, Elisha, man on the scene who loves the Lord, just naturally brings conviction wherever he goes. That's why he stays out of it. I don't want to see Elisha. I don't want to see... And you'll notice that as believers, it doesn't matter where you go, you leave a trail of conviction. You don't even have to say anything. You just walk in the room. Why are you judging me? I just got here. I didn't say anything about it. Yeah, but I know how you feel about this. It's not how I feel. It's how God feels, and I just agree with him. Yeah, yeah. All right. And that's your life, and that's how it's going to be if you're living that way. You will bring conviction wherever you go. Elisha's that guy. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He only says what God wants him to say. He doesn't say any more, doesn't say any less, only does what God calls him to do, and he's faulted for it. And so he calls out the king on this. Why did you tear your clothes? You tore your clothes because you're not a believer. You don't worship. And second of all, bring this Syrian to me so that he may know that there's a prophet in the land. The idea is because you don't. Of anybody that should know that there's a prophet in the land, it should be the king of Israel. The king of Israel should know. It should be excited that you've got somebody that can do this. But he doesn't. He's not excited. Then Naaman, you know, he's being passed around. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious 
and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farper, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Pretty strong words, even for the Bible. Not just disappointed, not just, oh man, what a waste of time. Uh, In rage, he went away. There's a reason for that, I believe. First thing we see here is the seven times. Remember last week, the seven sneezes? Like, what's this, the seven sneezes? Probably nothing to do with the sneezes. We talked about that a little bit afterwards. It's the seven. You see that coming up a lot in scripture, that number. It's the number of completion, seven days of creation on the seventh day. He rested, it's completed. He didn't run out of ideas. He could have created more. He stopped. It's complete. It's done. And then we see this washing seven times. It doesn't have to do with the Jordan. It doesn't really have to do with how many times. The seven shows God's fingerprint, basically. Just him. It's going to be me that does this. Seven sneezes, that was me. You know, seven dips in the water, that'll be me. God says. He goes away furious, though. When they uh, asked me um, for the article they're doing, they said, uh, what were your expectations when people come back? What what were you thinking? And I knew, because I've learned, I don't have expectations. I really don't. Because I've expected a lot in the past. I thought, here's this great idea. God's going to do this and that and the other thing. Here we go. Let's go. Where is everybody? You know? Let's go. Or the other side of things, I'll be like, yeah, that's fine. No big deal. Let's just get that done and move on to the next thing. And then, oh, man, we should have prepared more. You know, there's way more expectations. I expected much. I expected little. I expected... Get rid of that right away. No expectations. Naaman has expectations. Here's how I saw it going down. Now, you have to remember how this started. Some little servant girl, who knows how little she is, how young she is, maybe eight, seven, who knows? I mean, she could be little, little. You kind of think of a 15-year-old or something like that to serve, but she waited on the, the queen, basically, or the Naaman's wife or whatever. I don't know how, how, but she could have been little, little. And so she's saying, ma'am, I know this magic man who lives in my kingdom that can heal and magically make, you know, that's how, because Naaman's an unbeliever, he doesn't know. And so Naaman gets excited. He is that desperate to be healed of this monkey that's on his back. This death sentence that he carries around with him every single day, leprosy. Eventually, this is going to kill me. There is no cure. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to die. That's why the king says, do I have life and death in my hands? How can I keep this guy from dying? That's impossible. He's just, he's got it. Naaman's whole life, understand, how close was everybody to Naaman? Because if We understand the times. We know that when a leper would walk around, they'd have to cry out, unclean, unclean. And everybody would have to give them a wide burden. No, because of the contagious. I don't want to get, I want to catch that. Might have wore masks or something at that time. I don't know. I'll stop there. But they might have wore, you know, some kind of, and sometimes they'd throw rocks at them. Lepers, you know, get away, get away. That may be coming. I don't know. 
<laughs> Either way, he's experienced an entire life of solitude, distance. Who wants to carry my armor? Not me, man. So he hears about this magic man in another kingdom from a little tiny girl that says there's some guy that can heal him. He goes up to the king and says, there's a magic guy over here that can heal me. Can I go? Yeah, I'll write you a letter. Go see the magic guy. Shows up and shows the king. The king's like, I don't have that ability. I can't do that. So he's got this all in his mind as he's riding there. This guy's going to come out. And for the first time, he's going to see me and he's going to wave his hands over the spot. He doesn't have to touch me, but... Close, maybe. He's hoping for some interaction for the first time. He's hoping for something like what we read in the New Testament when Jesus would lay hands on the lepers, right? He's not afraid of it. He'd hug them. He'd touch them. He healed them by touch. There's a reason for that. He didn't have to. He could have waved his hands. He could have spoken it by word from a distance. But because it was a leper, because they hadn't been touched in years, he touched them to show them. That he could. That's what he was going to do. I have expectations. I'm disappointed that the man of God who's supposed to heal me doesn't want to see me or be near me, sends out a messenger to do it. How many times has Naaman seen a messenger instead of the guy, you know? How long has this guy had social distancing in his life? So he turned away and went in a rage. He's upset. And can you, can, you can kind of understand it, can't you? Before I'm like, you know, dude, come on. You need, I can see. It's not how I thought it was going to go. I thought it'd be different. I thought it was going to be, you know, I'm sad for him. So he leaves. Now the, it infers that he's leaving to go back to Syria. Okay. He's not going to the river, obviously. And his servants came near and spoke to him. And said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I pick up on the word dipped. Now, I don't know if I'm making a bigger deal out of it than it really is. I probably am, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because he said, I want you to go wash seven times in the Jordan. So I see that as I'm walking into the Jordan, I'm scrubbing down, I'm walking out of the Jordan. I'm going back and I'm going to do this seven times. Like I really make it a big deal, you know. And then dipped, I see that as a reluctant toddler bath, you know. Go wash yourself. Done. You know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And it worked. That's what I love about this. God didn't look down and say, you know what? He didn't believe me. He's kind of going halfway with this. I want to see some more dedication. I want all of Naaman. I don't want part of Naaman. This first contact. Please see this. As those of us have been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, of course he expects more from us. Of course he wants more devotion time. Because we're mature. We're getting older. But first contact? Hey, he dipped seven times, you know, heal him, you know, hey, it worked. Yeah, I'm real. I'm here. I heard you. 
please, please pray with me. Let's pray to, let's pray to God right now. I don't know what to say. He doesn't care. He just wants you to talk to him. He's not going to say you didn't do it right. You didn't say the right words. There's, there is no right way to talk to your dad. He just wants a conversation. Just start talking to him. It wasn't about the Jordan. He was concerned about the clean water. I just a funny story about me. Imagine that, but it, it, it is kind of funny. I've been baptized in the Jordan twice. First time was when I was a baby. I grew up in a church where we did christenings, or you did baptisms as infants, even though you can't repent. Whatever, we did that. Because they thought that the pastor's faith was enough to pass on to the baby. So the baby got saved at that moment because you got him damp. And then they're saved, which is not biblical at all. But nevertheless, we did it. And so when it was my turn to get baptized, and I had I, christening gowns for boys, that's not a good thing. But there the pictures are evidence of me in a christening gown. I've made it look good. Anyway. There I was. They had, they had found a lady. A lady had offered my parents water that she had brought back from Israel, from the Jordan River. And so she, they poured it in the little shallow baptismal thing. And they, you know, name of the Father and the name of the Son. Like, you know, the, the whole thing's there. Now, in those churches, you have something called the altar guild. And if you've never grown up in a church like that, you don't, it's like a club, a club of ladies that go in and they clean up the altar. They do everything they're supposed to do, Right. They didn't know that was Jordan water. And they took it and they just dumped it down the sink. And the lady wanted it back, you know. Where's my Jordan water? It's in the sink, you know. Altar Guild was never the same after that. It was <laughs> quite the scandal at the First Lutheran Church of Sioux City, Iowa. Nothing to do with the water. It was almost like God saying, yeah, I could have done that with tap. I can do it with Mazinga water. I can do it at the pool with chlorine. It, it isn't about that. There's nothing to do with that. He got cleaned. Imagine his face. Imagine his humility as he sits up. He says, man, I didn't even try. No, you didn't have to try. You just had to do what he told you to do, and you did it. And God honored it. God honored his faith. And that's a tiny bit of faith, isn't it? You know, you could just see him. And he honored it. This is an Old Testament God that I don't know that we're that familiar with sometimes. I mean, he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I see these moments, and I see him step in, and he's furious with those who know better, and he's gracious with those who don't. And he wants to start that conversation. He wants to bring them in. He wants to bring them along. He wants them to trust him, to develop faith in him, to believe him. And as they get older and older, of course, he expects more and more because you should be maturing. We should be maturing. Beautiful picture. How simple it is to be saved. Can I go over some scriptures with you? I've got time. John chapter 3, verse 16, we know the verse, but I'm going to read through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So according to that, what do I need to do to not perish and have everlasting life? One word. Now we'll write a book about that, won't we? What does it mean to believe? Nope. Not what God wanted us to do with that word. 
It's like the UPS guy coming up to your house, dropping a package off and the ringing the doorbell. And you stand there saying, no way. There's no way there's a package out there. Even though time and time again, when he stops and drops a package off, you know, it's out there. All you got to do is open the door and go grab it and open it. That's what believing means. None of us have a problem with that. You hear that doorbell? You see that smile on that box from Amazon? Bam. That's what I ordered right there. Or what did I order? You know, <laughs> you get to that place sometimes like, what is this? I don't know. It's a fun. It's like Christmas every time they show up. We ordered so much cabling and stuff. It's like, what is this? Oh, it's an HDMI cable, 50 foot. Oh, that's our splitter. Oh, that's our, we, yeah, you know. Okay, now what I'm getting at is it's God's salvation is that simple and we cannot make it any more complicated than that as believers. Here is the gift of salvation to you. Forgiveness through my son, Jesus Christ. It's yours. You can't pay for it. You can't buy it. You have to receive it freely like a gift. And we still have people sitting there looking at it. What's the quid pro quo? What do I got to do to do this? What, what do I need to do to open this? Nothing, man. Take it. Open it. How do I get clean? Just wash. Yeah. But, yeah. Naaman argues. We argue. To finish that section, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know that's why Christ came. His mission was not to condemn the world. 18 tells us they were condemned already. He came specifically so that they can be saved from their condemnation. You're already condemned. The world is already sentenced to death. They're already going to hell. God knew that. We're figuring it out. And so he sent a rescue. Jesus, get in the boat. What do I have to do to get in the boat? Nothing. Get in the boat. How much does it cost? It's free. Get in the boat. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is the daily occurrence. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Simple. Acts chapter 16, verses 29 through 31. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That's it. What's step two? Nope. There's only one step to salvation. It's believing on Jesus Christ. Believing what God did. He'd send his son to die on the cross for your sins. Finally, John chapter 6, verses 28 through 29. And they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. I mean, that's Jesus. Jesus didn't write a book. He didn't write a paragraph after that. He didn't say, let me qualify that statement. Let me explain to you what believe means. It was simple. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is as simple as a toddler can hear it and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. We do not need a doctrinal thesis written on it by anybody. It's as simple as me saying, kids, come to dinner. How do I know there's dinner on the table? There's been dinner on the table every night since you've been born. Come. Bo still does that to me sometimes. 
I, I tuck them in at bed every single night, maybe once a month, maybe once every six months, I might not tuck them in, rub their back a little bit, talk with them a little bit, whatever it might do, whatever. Without fail, if I don't go up with them, when they go brush their teeth, he will really, oh, dad, you coming up? I said, don't I always? Okay. Coming up now? You know. So I understand it. I understand our, I'm so glad that God is so patient with us though. Faithful. He's faithful. He will do what he said he's going to do. If he said it, it was that simple. It is that simple. He's not going to, we're not going to get up there and he's going to say, I tricked you. So much more complicated than that. Did you really think it was just believe? Even though I said it 4,700 times in the scriptures? No, no, no. There's steps. There's things you got to do. There's hoops. There's clauses. There's small print. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Simple. Verse 15, then he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Let me give you something back. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. I can't do that. Matthew 10, verse 8 says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. He warns those disciples not to make this a profiteering moment. Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. Christians don't need to beg for bread. God, their father, always takes care of them. Let me give you something. I'm not taking anything from you. You don't understand. I didn't do anything. Really, God did it. And so it'd be really weird for me to take money for a gift that he gave you. It's just not right. So Naaman said, then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. He wants to take dirt home. (laughs) Two mule loads of dirt or earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Can I get some dirt and bring it back with me? I guess. Now, wouldn't this have been a great time for Elisha to say, thou shalt not worship dirt. Thou shalt not have any graven image before me. God is invisible. You can't do anything. No, he just lets it go. We want some dirt. Look at the Look at the devotion, the heart. Look what Naaman wants to do. I'm on Israeli holy soil. I want to bring soil home with me. I want to stand. When I pray, I'm standing on Israel's soil. Bam. It doesn't help. But for him, by faith, I want dirt. Guys, have some dirt? Take some dirt. I was taking rocks when I was at Israel last time. I, I was picking up rocks and and I, I'm going through customs on the way out. And they're like, do you have anything to declare? I said, I got a lot of rocks. She says, take them. The Palestinians just throw them at us. <laughs> I said, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> take some more. So I took some rocks and, and it, I, I've got a bag of five rocks from Israel over there. We found them behind the sound booth. I, I gave them to somebody and they didn't want them and they left them or whatever. No big deal. They're just rocks but they're from Israel. And there's just something, I don't know what it is. Foolish, probably, of course. But God's never zapped me with lightning because I brought rocks home or water from the Dead Sea or water. I have water from the Jordan, Dead Sea, and Galilee, all stored away. 
That makes me super holy because I own all those things, you know. I don't know what it is. Just want to bring something home with me. Because when you're there, you feel like you're at home. You're like, oh, this is great. Right over there and right over there. And that's where that happened. And you can almost see all 10 of these things from one spot. It's so close. It's just, and so I gotta, you just bring it home with you. You get his heart and God gets his heart and Elisha gets his heart. He continues, yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand and I bow down in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. I don't want it to look like to God, like I'm bowing down to other gods. I'm with my master. He's kind of old. He bows down. I bow down with him and we get back up, but I'm not bowing the knee to that God. I'm just helping my guy down and back up again. I just want to serve him. Look what he says about the dirt and about this bowing down. Then he said to him, go in peace. This prophet knows. We need to know. That is God's objective with every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. I want you to have peace. I don't want you to be worried about me hating you or bashing you or like there's a hammer over your head wherever you go. I'm just waiting to get you. I want you to know that I'm here to bring peace between God and man. Now, we don't have peace between man and man a lot of times, but I'm here to bring peace. I sent my son not to condemn, but to save you. I want you to have peace with me. Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. I don't give you that kind of peace. God doesn't give us that kind of peace, the absence of conflict. God hasn't struck me down today, but he might tomorrow. That's the kind of peace the world gives. But the kind of peace God gives is a love that can never be taken from you. I love you with an everlasting love, he says. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Peace. It's that simple. It's that easy. It's like a breath of fresh air. What is the work of God? Believe on him who he sent and now walk away in peace with your dirt (laughs) and whatever else you got. And Elisha knows that. I do not want to spoil this moment between this man and his God. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me, liar, saying, indeed, just now two young men from the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of uh, garments. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them uh, to two of his servants. And they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hands or from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. And he went in and stood before his master, Elisha, and said, and Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? Gehazi said, your servant did not go anywhere. Does he forget who his boss is? (laughs) Hello, I see everything. Where were you? I didn't go anywhere. It's not like he's lying to his parents or something, you know. He's caught. He said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? 
Is it time to receive money, to receive clothing, olive groves, vineyards, sheep, oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out of his presence, leprous as white as snow. Now there's the Old Testament God we usually talk about right there. You see the difference? You know better. You know better. You misrepresented God to this man. It is dangerous when you know God's heart and you use it to take advantage of another person. God sees that. He watches that. And he holds you accountable to it. I don't know if he's going to give you leprosy or not or give me leprosy or not. But boy, it causes me to pause. Naaman, take your dirt. Peace be with you. This other guy, mm-mm. You're going to carry that leprosy around with you. God is very protective. We need to represent God correctly to the world around us. Do not complicate this gospel. I cannot complicate this gospel. If I do, I'm in trouble. And God will hold me accountable to that. What must I do to be saved? Believe on him whom he sent. That's it. That's it. And that's where we leave off today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for concluding it this way, that you are protective of Naaman. You watched him. You love him. You watched Elisha minister to him, and you were happy with the way Elisha did it. But that Gehazi, Lord, there's always a Gehazi out there, it seems like, that's always trying to get from it or take from it or make it more complicated or whatever, and it's just not pleasing to you at all. Lord, help us to know the good news of the gospel simply and able to give it out to a toddler, and if we can give it out to a toddler, then we can give it out to a president or a CEO and give it out to anybody then. Help us to never make it more complicated in our own minds either. That You love us with an everlasting love, that you sent your son as a rescuer, someone who's going to die on the cross for our sins in place of us. And if we just believe you that his mission is true and that you sent him and that it was accepted, well, we're saved. We can't get any more saved than that. So thank you, Lord. This morning, we believe. We believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. We believe. And we love you. Lord, help us to live now, not for salvation. That's been done at the cross, but from it. Because we're saved, because we're your children now, because we've been adopted into your family, because we believe, Lord, help us to now tell everybody about this good news and live a life that's pleasing to you because you're worthy to be worshiped with everything we have, whether that's with song or our deeds. Bless these folks as they go today. Thank you for your word, your encouragement of this man, Naaman, the Syrian. In Jesus' name, amen.